you know what, so what, so what at this specific point in time, you weren't able to run X time. That really means nothing in the big scheme of things. Like we zoom out, you know, for me, looking back, that was two years ago now. I mean, me not running the trials and me taking a step back and maybe addressing my mental health after, you know, having my goals on display publicly. Um, I, I think there is huge worth in putting your goals on display publicly, but I do think you still have to acknowledge the fact that sometimes things don't always, they aren't always going to fall into place how you expect on a specific arbitrary timeline. Um, but that doesn't really mean anything in the big scheme of things. So here's the question, how do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. Before we get into this episode, if you are recovering from an injury and you want to make sure you are maximizing your nutrition to become a healthy runner, you'll want to check out Heal from the Amino Company. Later on in this episode, I will tell you more about Heal and how it can help you with your injuries and overall recovery. Or you can check out the research yourself at aminoco.com slash healthy runner. Cool. All right. Welcome. And thank you for Hi. tuning in to episode 96 on the Healthy Runner podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and become a lifelong injury-free runner. And today we have a very special guest. With us today, we have Dr. Stephanie Flippin, who is not only a true expert in the foot and ankle, working as a physician, surgeon, clinician, and private practice owner, but she is also a professional ultra runner for Hoka. She's a run coach, and she is the 2021 USA TF 100-mile national champion and course record holder. It is such an honor to have you on the show today. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Dwayne. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> yeah, I am super excited to honestly be able to talk to you. Um, yeah, likewise. I should, I should probably share how we got connected. Um, so yeah. our friend uh, of the show, Matt Chittam from the Rambling Runner podcast, who I had the pleasure of going on his show um, after I helped him through some knee issues. And then he came on um, the Healthy Runner podcast um, in episode 86 for those nice. uh, keeping track at home and they want to check out Matt's episode. <laughs> but after kind of my multiple talks with him, um, he had brought up your name as someone that I would kind of connect well with. And yeah. given your medical background and your amazing run story. Um, so now I'm like, super excited to be able to actually talk to you myself. And yeah. I've heard, you know, your previous episodes that you've done with Matt before on the Rambling Runner podcast on the road to the trials. Yeah. Um, so I'm just so thankful for you accepting my invitation, honestly. Yeah, you bet. Thank you so much for having me. 
So what I was thinking is because you've done some full kind of podcast episodes on like one specific race before mm -hmm. and your whole running journey. And like, if people like what they hear from you today and they want to know like a little more deeper dive of like, you know, the ultra running that you've done, I would mm -hmm. definitely just recommend they Google your name and those podcast episodes <laughs> will pop yeah. up, um, sure. which are like such amazing and inspiring stories. But since we're all about health here on the healthy runner, um, for runners, yeah. I thought it'd be really neat given your background to yeah. share some of your clinical expertise, um, yeah. as it relates to the foot and ankle, mm -hmm. um, because like I've done deep dive episodes before in the past on like Achilles tendinopathy, plantar mm -hmm. fasciitis, posterior tib dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And I honestly would just love to be able to like get some of your insights on some of these and yeah. what you feel, you know, based upon your clinical observations, your mm -hmm. running experience, um, you know, what are some of the keys to overcoming and, or more importantly, preventing, you know, foot and ankle pain in runners Would that yeah. uh, work, work for you? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So in that case, let's get started with our dynamic warmup. Uh, this yeah. is the first question we ask all our guests on yeah. the show. So tell our listeners, um, where are you from and what do you do? Yeah, so I am originally from San Diego, California. That's where I was born and raised. Um, I went to the University of California, San Diego. Um, I really always thought that I would be spending, you know, my entire life in California, but life had other plans for me. Um, I ended up going to medical school in Chicago. Um, and yes, so I am a professional um, ultra runner for Hoka um, now. Um, I um, co-own my private practice. Um, flip and foot and ankle um, here in Lakewood um, slash Golden, Colorado. I'm with my husband, Mitchell, um, who's also a clinician um, and surgeon with me. Um, and I'm also a run coach um, with Lift Run Perform. So that is what I spend my time doing. <laughs> that is awesome. And um, yeah. so Mary, the owner of Lift Run Perform, she's also a friend of the show. Uh, yeah. Mary was on our podcast actually almost a year ago now, because I remember this specifically because it was Thanksgiving week, actually. Um, and we had some technical uh, debacle uh, that happened. That was probably like the worst technical debacle I've ever mm. had uh, recording a podcast. And she was so gracious to come on again and like do yeah. the whole interview again uh, during Thanksgiving week. But those of you who want to check that out, Mary had some great tips, especially now as it starts yeah. to get a little cooler um, mm -hmm. on kind of running through winter and how you need to dress properly as a runner. Um, yeah. So Mary shared all of those uh, tips in episode 44 um, on the Healthy Runner podcast. So you can uh, check those out. And I also heard a really great story on one of your interviews um, <laughs> about the proposal Oh, yes. And, yes. <laughs> so I, you got to share that uh, with our yeah. audience. How did your husband actually propose right. to you? Yeah. Um, and then I also I also forgot to mention, yes, I'm from San Diego. I'm located in, in Colorado. I think I mentioned that about my practice, but I live up in the mountains now. Um, but yeah, so um, in 2015, that's the year that I ran uh, my first 100 mile race. I was completely unprepared. I I'm always hundred percent honest, um, with everyone about that. It wasn't like, um, you know, Oh, just nailed it on the first try. Um, I don't know that anyone really does, um, with their first hundred miler. Um, but yeah, my husband and I had been, um, you know, just kind of locked in with school, um, 
you know, studying crazy hours. We just, we really didn't have the time um, to put in like as much training as we really needed to um, for this particular race, which, you know, I think it started at 7,000 feet for us coming from like extremely flat sea level um, in Chicago um, was already kind of rough. Um, you know, and the race was definitely like a true mountain race, um, tons of climbing. Um, so yeah, um, you know, my parents um, had flown out. Um, we were around um, the rim of the Grand Canyon um, on the north side. And um, yeah, my parents had flown out. They were crewing for us. I just remember hitting mile 50 and I like was sitting in my parents' rental car and I was like, dad, like, I don't want to keep doing this. Like, I know Mitchell really does, but I don't want to, like, this sucks. I'm tired. I just want to sleep. Um, I've never ran through the night before. And my dad just kind of like shrugged and he was like, I know this kind of sucks, but you really need to see this through. Like, you really need to finish this. Um, so I pressed on, um, you know, we, my husband and I had just incredible support, like the whole time throughout the race. And in hindsight, like by support, I mean, like everyone at every single aid station was like, just really rooting for us and like, just really pumping me up and trying to keep me positive. And I thought, well, this is so awesome. Like the ultra community is wonderful and they are. Um, but, um, you know, we were like, you know, mile 75 and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go another marathon. Like, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like this stinks. Um, you know, but we were making our way, you know, we got mile 80, mile 85, you know, I was just taking it in five mile chunks. Um, and then I remember it was like, gosh, this is death march to get from mile 95 to hundred, you know, we were, we were pretty far back, like in the pack. Um, there weren't a lot of finishers. Um, and I remember coming around like this corner and I see the race director, my parents, every single volunteer has their phone up and I'm like, wow, I'm like, that's so interesting, but very nice, I guess. Um, <laughs> everyone's so invested in this, um, like in my mind, very kind of slow finish time. Um, but yeah, so we crossed the finish line and then, um, my husband Mitchell got down on one knee and asked me to marry him. Um, and yeah, and then I kind of put everything together in terms of why everyone was just so invested in this finish. Um, yeah. And it was amazing. I, I couldn't have asked for a better, um, proposal and story to be able to tell. <laughs> so, yeah. And you'll, you definitely yeah. won't forget that. That's for sure. I won't, um, no. <laughs> but it, yeah. there, there's somewhat of a low parallel, like definitely not yeah. to the extent of, um, that because obviously you guys love running and then it made it right. more meaningful. So yeah. my wife and I met actually at dance school, um, growing nice. up and I actually proposed during, um, a performance here in New nice. Haven at the Schubert theater of the Nutcracker. Oh, very cool. oh my gosh. This is, this is a very small world. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a very, uh, like I was not a runner um, growing up. I, really only did like competitive ballet. Um, I was probably in the Nutcracker, um, I don't know, like 16 times, like 16 <laughs> straight years of the Nutcracker. Yeah, yeah. I will never forget like Waltz of the Flowers, like uh, like Snowcore. I will never forget those routines. I can still like see them in my head and hear like the cues and stuff like that. So that's, that's funny. Yeah, small uh, yeah. world, small yeah. world. But I remember you kind of sharing that story and you were like, thinking like what is he doing like why is he getting on one knee like yeah. like kind of embarrassed that was yeah. like totally my wife yeah I actually did yeah. it where I kind of like interrupted the uh director during mm -hmm. a it was like right before a performance kind of you know we we're going through the scene and I kind of like interrupted him and she was like what the heck is he doing why is he interrupting him yeah. right now you know and it was just I was yeah. like 
that brought me back to that day. So yeah. awesome story. And yeah. I could never, ever for someone who let's just put this out there for someone who's only run one marathon, half marathons are my jam. Like, yeah, that's, that's what I love to do. Road mm-hmm. running. I've never done any mountainous, like all sure. these crazy adventures you do. Yeah. Like, kudos to you, like hands down, but I can't imagine running hundred miles and then getting like proposed to like, yeah, right at the end of that. <laughs> right. I know there's, I feel like no matter like what hundred mile race you're running, there's always, you know, no matter how long you're out there for, there's always a certain like degree of delirium, like no matter what, no matter your fitness level, you know, no matter if you're a pro or this is your first time. Um, so I just remember thinking like, am I like, am I really tired? Like what is going on here? Is this actually happening? Um, but yeah, (laughs) that's too funny. Um, and then, yeah, cause you kind of jumped right into like, you know, talking about ultra running and doing these crazy Mm -hmm. races. Like, so you mentioned you were, you know, you did ballet and you were dancer Mm -hmm. younger. When did you actually start running? Um, so I kind of, um, I grew up like going on runs, um, with my dad, um, who has been like a lifelong athlete, lifelong runner. Um, I just, you know, I guess I was just a little bit late to the game in terms of like doing it, like focused and as my own, like as my primary sport. um, you know, I didn't run like cross country or track or anything like that. Um, you know, I was really focused on like scholastics, um, and things like that, but I really started running, um, in medical school as a stress reliever. Um, I, you know, moving cross country, I just knew like, I'm like, my stress level is just skyrocketing right now. I really need to establish a habit, like an outlet for me that's healthy, um, you know, to kind of give me a a break from all the studying and stuff like that. So, um, I was probably like 21, 22, um, when I actually go further into like consistent running. So nice, nice. And I know many people could be like, you know, med school, like, you must not have any time whatsoever. And, you know, you decided to, um, you know, take up running, but I could, um, somewhat relate to, to that as, as well, where I was a PT for about Mm -hmm. 10 years before I went into kind of academia and I went back for a PhD Mm -hmm. and wound up, uh, that's when I started running. It was during those PhD years. I was juggling, like working full-time, going to school, and taking on running. Like that's when my right. kind of running journey started, but you're right. Yeah. Like I just think about, I would have never got through those PhD years Mm-mm. if I wasn't running. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Press wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely provides that, you know, balance and kind mm-hmm. of keeps you level-headed a little bit. Um, awesome. So thank you for sharing kind of some of that backstory. Um, yeah. So let's get into kind of today's topic, if that's okay yeah. with you. Yeah, um, sure you know, based upon your clinical experience and, um, the things that you work on with your runners, like, what Mm -hmm. do you feel is, you know, whether or not someone does have Achilles pain, plantar fasciitis, posterior tib tendinopathy, maybe peroneal tendinitis, um, you know, what are some of the keys to kind of overcoming, you know, that pain and, Mm -hmm. or even preventing it? Yeah. You know, I, I always think, um, and as we all know, you know, kind of the, one of the main downfalls um, of healthcare is kind of, you know, reactive uh, medicine or care, um, you know, so I don't want to like dive too further and too far into like, okay, once you have pain, this is what we should do. You know, ideally we should be starting, you know, before something pops up, um, you know, it's never, 
it's never too late and it's never like, oh, only this certain group of runners or this certain group of patients is going to benefit um, from being proactive um, in terms of like active stretching, a mobility routine, um, addressing everything up the more proximal chain. Um, just because I am a foot and ankle specialist certainly doesn't mean that I can see a patient or an athlete and just look at them within a vacuum or, you know, not from like the knee up or anything like that. Um, I myself have found, um, you know, fortunately, and I've discussed this too in other podcasts, um, I have been fortunate to not have, um, you know, an injury that's taken me out of running um, in the last decade, which I feel extremely fortunate for. Um, and that's not to say that I'm someone that's like just constantly stretching or things like that. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, if we look at, you know, in terms of our training, um, you know, in our fitness is a pyramid, you know, the base is really like starting with the basics, you know, the basics of health in terms of, are we getting enough sleep? Um, are we eating enough, um, you know, to kind of fuel what our body is demanding of us? Um, and I know while this podcast is certainly, you know, we have, we're definitely chatting with a very specific, um, you know, demographic. I also, I mean, I've, you know, in my practice, I see a very um, generalized population too. Um, and I think that those keystones can still be applicable um, to patients. And a lot of times I refer to all my patients as athletes, kind of regardless of, you know, if they're heading out, you know, if they're running five days for fun, I, I even bring it further back to like, you know, I have some of my elderly folks that are simply trying to get in, you know, a mile walk, even a half mile walk a day. I still consider them to be an athlete. And I still feel that the same kind of tenants and making sure that their overall health is being looked after. Um, you know, I, I kind of view each patient and, and athlete in that same way. Um, so a lot of times, like in my, you know, kind of initial consultation um, and conversations with both athletes um, and my patients is, um, you know, discussing with them about just their overall health. Like, what is their stress level like? Um, you know, what do they truly have time to incorporate into their routine? Um, you know, just as someone, you know, someone might be working like two or three jobs, you know, we're going, we're still going through a worldwide pandemic right now. Um, you know, it's not going to be appropriate to throw, you know, a five page packet, you know, of a, you know, mobility routine at them and expect them to be able to do it, you know, three to four times a week. Um, you know, to me, it's like, let's start small, let's grab the low hanging fruit, which is honestly like, making sure they're getting enough sleep, um, making sure, you know, what does their nutrition look like? Do I need to, you know, get a registered dietitian, a sports dietitian on board? Um, what does, you know, all the little things besides, you know, like the actual running and the training itself, what do all those little things look like um, before I start like jumping the gun um, in terms of what, what can we specifically do to prevent like this type of injury, this type of injury, things like that, so. I love that. So thinking more yeah. like holistic and, yeah. and how nutrition plays a role, how sleep mm -hmm. plays a role in our physical health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, not to just kind of like generalize things, of course, like I get more specific about, you know, the issues that, you know, patient or athlete may be having. Um, but I, you know, I typically find that, um, you know, addressing those types of things in a holistic way, just like you said, first, um, you know, we can really resolve some of the underlying stress, you know, that's going on and really kind of get to the root of how we can approach, um, you know, keeping an injury at bay, things like that. <clears throat> nice. Yeah, no. Yeah. So I, I think it really gets down to, from what I heard is really just meeting the patient where they're at, right. Yeah, and exactly. seeing like, yeah. 
what is their particular situation, their yeah. particular story. It's not just mm-hmm. a diagnosis of Achilles right. tendonitis, right? right? Yeah. Or right. you know, plantar fasciitis. It's mm-hmm. hey, wh- where is this person? You know, what is the time they have to fit into their yeah. schedule? Yeah. And how realistic. you're yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and how you're kind yeah. of customizing that to mm-hmm. the specific kind of patient in front of you. Yeah, yeah, you know, and kind of along those same lines too. I know um, it's something that I have definitely developed, um, particularly like being it out in practice myself. Um, you know, it's different when you're a resident or a student, and you know, you're you have a textbook. You know, you're going through you know the different treatments, even like different procedures and things like that. Um, you know, to address specific issues, it's been a very um, it's been very eye opening for me. Um, you know, seeing patients in the real world where you know I'm purely in charge of their care. There's not someone over, you know, looking over my shoulder, Um, you know, and you start to have discussions with patients and, you know, certain things that might seem like a very simple fix, Um, like, hey, you know what, you need to get into a new pair of shoes, you know, that are wide enough in the forefoot. And, you know, I'm just using these as examples, but need to get into a new pair of shoes. They need to have enough cushion. Um, You know, we need to chat about doing this, to chat about doing this. And they're like, I, like, I can't afford a $150 pair of shoes, like, or, you know what, like I, I, I don't, I can't be off of my foot for six weeks because again, like maybe I'm working multiple jobs. I have multiple kids at home. Um, there are so many different factors that, you know, from a textbook perspective, it's like, oh, this is how we approach it. But, you know, from, you know, and I, I don't mean to like stand on a soapbox by this, but there are so many other factors like economically, like just that I have to take into account and I can't just tell a patient, oh, just go to your, like your run specialty store and pick up all this. Um, again, I know we, we may be talking to a very specific demographic where, um, you know, we might have, you know, the resources and the privilege, um, to where that's not a big deal, but I do, I do see a lot of patients where they're like, I just can't do that right now. Like, how can you, how can I still, you know, follow your guidelines, um, you know, and, and take your, your medical advice, um, and get better, um, you know, and how does that look in my specific situation? So I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up just because I do encounter that a lot in practice. So. No, thank you. Thank you. I I think that is such an important topic and for everyone listening to kind of keep in mind, you know, whenever you Google something on, you know, how to overcome plantar fasciitis or, you know, you're going to get some, you know, bullet points, but those might not be specific for your particular yeah. situation based upon right. your level of tissue irritability, mm-hmm. um, yeah. based upon your level of fitness, right? Like mm-hmm. what you're training. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, definitely getting, you know, a medical expert, um, someone that can provide you the specific guidance that you mm-hmm. need for that particular moment in time yeah. um, is always going to be the best treatment, right? So whatever, yeah you know, the kind of clickbait, like best treatment stuff comes up, um, right. you know, the best treatment's really going to be someone who's actually providing that individualized care to your particular yeah. situation. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. So I, yeah. if I had to break this into like number tips, like tip number yeah. one for me was like, yeah. you know, no patient should be treated, you know, the same that we're right. all kind of individuals yeah. and that you're taking that into account. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to get over whatever foot and ankle kind of um, situation is going on. Um, yeah. So we do have a live question, if that's okay. Sure. If we can yeah, kind of absolutely. This, this yeah. would be great because I feel like this is definitely not the first time you've heard this. I know it's sure. certainly not the first time I heard this, yeah. but um, Harsh has actually a question on um, can long distance running put pressure 
on the knees and the ankles? Yeah, yes, um, it absolutely can. Uh, and Blaine, I'm sure you're very familiar. Um, you know, I'm drawing a blank on the exact author um, of this um, peer-reviewed article, but um, there has been a very good study out there that kind of um, assessed like the impact of endurance running, long distance training on, um, and it directly kind of was trying to find a link or not a link um, between like um, degeneration, like within the knee joint. Um, and I believe that study found that there was no link to that. Um, the exception was in patients that already had, you know, a predisposition for deterioration of the knee joint. Um, so it's kind of, you know, to break it down, it's just, if you already have some arthritis going on in a certain joint, um, or you've, you know, you, maybe you grew up playing basketball, things like that. And you already have, you know, kind of a predisposition or uh, a pre-existing injury. Yes. Like distance running can kind of exacerbate it, but there has been like no studies, no links that show that distance running and, you know, endurance training actually causes arthritis within the knees or the ankles. Um, so it, to me, that's kind of common sense. It's like, you know, if you're getting ready to head out for a run and you're having, you know, plantar fascial issues, just use that in, as an example. Um, and you really haven't given it, you know, the proper amount of time for the inflammation to come down. You haven't necessarily been addressing it. You haven't been doing like more proximal stretching and addressing, you know, maybe weakness or tightness further up the chain. Like, you know, you head out for that run, it's probably not going to feel great. Right. Um, to me, that's kind of a, a similar concept. Um, Again, though, you know, it's a great question because each patient is different and individual. Um, again, no one, you know, nothing exists in a vacuum. Um, but I get asked that on a daily basis um, with my patients. They're like, you're going to run your body out. <laughs> you know, you're going to just bust out your knees. I'm like, well, I haven't yet. So, um, you know, and it, again, I think there are a lot of, there are tons of factors at play. You know, I think particularly like genetics, um, you know, just kind of like my overall health. Um, you know, I've, I've never really had a history of like red S for example, things like that, um, that have just kind of all kind of added up to, at least in my personal instance, I have not had, you know, any bony related issues, any arthritic changes, things like that. Excellent. Excellent answer. That's, yeah. um, so ironic that you brought up red S as yeah. we actually just had, um, a podcast episode with our registered dietitian on our team, mm -hmm. Brooke, um, who, did a whole episode on red S and yeah. kind of risk factors and things like right. that. Um, right. but yeah, harsh, thank you so much for the question. It's definitely yeah. not the first time that no, uh, has been asked and it won't be the last, but mm -hmm. I love to hear it again from someone yeah. else. Bust the myth that running is mm -hmm. bad for your joints. Yeah. It, mm -mm. It's not bad for your no. knees, not bad for no. your ankles, not bad for mm -mm. your joints. No. And even in some of the studies, you know, that I've seen is that it's actually protective in nature. Yeah. I mean, of arthritis is actually less in runners yeah, yeah, than it totally. is in the sedentary population. Really? Yeah, truly. So, all right. So that was a nice little uh, sidetrack there. But if we mm -hmm. got into kind of, we talked about tip number one, kind of no patient should be treated the same. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about shoes. Yeah. And because that's always a hot topic also it in is. runners, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So what are what are kind of keys you think, um, with regard to shoe wear for runners? Yeah. yeah. So the first thing I always tell patients is that, and this, this is a great kind of segue into what we were just talking about. Um, you know, I get tons of patients tons of tons of athletes, um, you know, and I, I mean this in no disrespect to wherever they received this advice. Um, I always, you know, start there. Um, but again, 
each athlete is different. Um, even though like, you know, even though I am sponsored by Hoka, um, I, I don't ever push, you know, one specific type of shoe on each patient. You can't like that makes sense. Right. Um, I get patients all the time that are like, well, you know, don't you feel like you would benefit if you, you know, did some runs, did more barefoot running, more minimalist shoes that, that can definitely be true and make sense for certain patients and their injury history. Um, for me personally, like that, you know, being in a more minimalist shoe doesn't really make sense for me and my personal injury history. And also like taking into account the distances that I'm running, um, you know, just for me and my own history, that doesn't make sense for me, but that doesn't mean that that might not make sense for someone else. Um, you know, in a kind of just starting, you know, from the beginning, um, in terms of getting fit properly for shoes, I can't recommend going to like a, a your trusted, like specialty run store to get fit for a, a good pair of shoes. Um, particularly after having a conversation with, you know, your healthcare specialist, um, if you are currently having um, a specific issue, um, whether that be plantar fasciitis, whether it's Achilles, you know, tendinopathy, um, posterior tip tendinopathy, peroneal tendinopathy, um, I can't express enough how important that is because I have a lot of patients um, that come to me and, and even athletes too. And they're like, well, I've just been told my whole life, um, you know, that I really need, you know, pretty hefty arch support. Um, so I was placed in, into like, um, I'm trying to think of like a super, super crazy, like max stability shoe, maybe like a Brooks aerial or something like that. Yeah. I wore the beast for a couple of yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's no knock on, you know, that specific shoe. There, there are certainly patients that need, you know, that do need that kind of support, but in my experience, like the majority of patients are, and athletes don't, um, you know, and I can't tell you how many times I patients come to me and they have, um, they've given themselves peroneal tendinopathy simply from being, you know, placed in this like awkwardly and extremely exaggerated, like supinated position. And they're putting all of this excess strain, um, on their lateral column, um, Again, it's not like I'm trying to say that, oh, you know, max stability shoes don't have a place. They certainly do. But I think a lot of times in that particular example, there is, you know, I definitely see an overutilization um, of those. Um, other keys, um, key points um, is that um, I usually, you know, when I have a discussion with patients in terms of, okay, what shoes have you been running in? What shoes have you been walking in? How are you feeling in them? Um, you know, this is kind of a, a generalized point here, but in terms of like, you know, like if you're looking at a higher stack height shoe, um, and not just the stack height, but like the heel to toe drop, um, compared to like an ultra, um, or, um, a topo where it's like in that zero to four millimeter range, um, a lot of Sauconies fall into that range too. Um, I usually tell patients, you know, we need to consider, um, your injury history. Have you typically had, um, more issues with your knees and like higher up more proximally issues with your hip it band issues, or are you someone that has typically struggled with maybe lower leg injuries, um, say like shin splints, um, you know, do you have a history of plantar fasciitis? Do you have, you know, posterior tib issues, things like that. Um, in general, um, a patient that has had issues with knees and IT band and more proximal issues is going to benefit more in a lower drop shoe um, because it takes the pressure off of the more proximal joints. Um, it does place more stress though on the lower leg, the ankle and the foot. Um, so that's something to take into account. Um, 
obviously I think a lot of us are very familiar with the concept of um, if you're going from like a more traditional shoe with a traditional um, heel to toe drop, say like a Nike um, or an Adidas, um, you know, there's always going to be that um, kind of gradual transition time into a lower drop shoe. Um, because as we know, you know, it's placing more stress on the Achilles and just on the lower leg, all of the tendons in general and the joints. Um, but as a, you know, as a good kind of general approach, um, I, I usually, if I have someone that is typically complaining of more proximal issues, I'm like, Hey, you know, it could be worth thinking of transitioning to a lower drop shoe. So we're taking the stress off you know, higher up. And then the converse is also true um, of patients I have that are like, I've always ran in ultras, you know, it's, I just, I love the shoe. It has enough space. Um, but you know, maybe they just have chronic, like maybe they're having chronic, like even like metatarsal issues, um, you know, I, you know, stress fractures, there's a lot of other factors that come into play, but chronic Achilles issues, lower leg issues, you know, to me, in my mind, it's like, let's consider possibly putting you into something that has a little bit more of our traditional heel to toe drop so we can alleviate that pressure on the lower leg. Um, you know, it's, it's simple fixes like that. Um, and again, it's like, it's, that's not the only factor, obviously. Um, but it's things like that, just kind of assessing, okay, what's going on along the entire chain? How can we um, alleviate pressure on those certain areas? We all know one of the most frustrating parts about running is suffering an injury and bouncing back from that injury. We all know how important it is to get a proper diagnosis, properly load the tissue with specific strengthening exercises, incorporate mobility, and strengthen your surrounding run-specific muscles if you have listened to any of the running injury episodes on this podcast. An often neglected aspect of injury recovery and becoming a lifelong injury-free healthy runner is the nutritional component. For injuries to properly heal and allow your body to recover faster, you must supply your body with the nutrients it needs to accelerate muscle repair, and that is what the Amino Company's product Heal does better than any other product I have seen on the market as a physical therapist who works with a lot of runners struggling with recurring injuries. Heal is designed to reduce recovery times and improve physical function after injuries by accelerating muscle repair while helping maintain a healthy inflammatory response. In fact, a recent clinical trial compared heal with high-quality whey protein. The net balance between whole-body protein synthesis and breakdown was measured, and the response was that heal was found to be at least three times larger than that of whey protein on a gram-for-gram -gram basis. Heal was shown to both reduce muscle protein breakdown and increase muscle protein synthesis. So let's break down the results of this clinical trial in a way we can understand. Participants basically had less muscle breakdown and faster muscle repair using Heal. If you're looking for a nutritional advantage while recovering from that stubborn IT band syndrome, Achilles, hamstring, or posterior tibial tendonitis, or even recovering from your daily training if you are healthy. I highly recommend you give Heal a try. I recommend it to all my athletes coming back from injury or those that are struggling to recover after hard workouts that I put on their running calendar. We even have a special offer for you where you can save 30% off by using the code HEALTHYRUNNER. Just head to aminoco.com slash healthy runner. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com 
slash healthy runner and use the code healthy runner at checkout to save 30%. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I actually just had a client that I started working with this week um, who has been running in ultras, you know, for years and years and years, mm-hmm. done many marathons. And, right. you know, he went to another healthcare practitioner and, you know, it was the conversation was, oh, your ultras are causing your problem, right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'm like, wait, but you've run multiple marathons. Yeah, like, right, it's right, not right. your shoes that are causing right. it. And exactly, I, yeah. I, I think we just need to be careful. And I love that your philosophy is like the same as mine and, you know, chasing fads, right. Yeah. And like when I first graduated PT school, mm-hmm. you know, 16, 17 years ago now, Mm -hmm. uh, 18. um, It was the whole movement of motion control, pronation's bad, like stop all pronation. Everyone needs custom foot orthotics. Everyone needs these stability Mm -hmm. shoes. And, you know, I even got into those and, Mm -hmm. you know, I was wearing, meanwhile, for my foot type, I really shouldn't have been. Um, And then, you know, we went in like 10 years later, went to the whole barefoot Barefoot. movement Mm -hmm. and everyone needs to be running barefoot. And then we Mm -hmm. saw many people getting injured because they couldn't actually, you know, transition slow enough Mm -hmm. to wean themselves down. Um, So I definitely, you know, am more of the belief like you that it is, you know, depending upon the individual and their specific circumstances, but Mm -hmm. if something you've been using for a while and now you have this injury, yeah. most likely it's not the shoe that caused yeah, it. Right. Um, exactly. You know, usually when you dive into someone's training, like a lot of runners. So if you're listening to this, you know, many yeah. of us think, oh, I got injured. It's either because of the new shoes I got or the mm-hmm. shoes that I've been running in or because I'm getting yeah. old. Right. And you haven't considered, hey, did I actually have a training spike in, yeah. you know, it, yeah. I wind yeah. up running more miles in July yeah. and August because yeah. I had more time and the weather was beautiful, right. whatever the case. Right. On, on like five hours of sleep a night or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So that, and I agree. I think that was just excellent, excellent advice for those that are battling, you know, foot and mm-hmm. ankle pain. And most likely if you're tuning into this episode, you probably are, um, yeah. you know, thinking about, should you consider, and this is mm-hmm. a great conversation for your medical professional, you're running mm-hmm. kind of specialty, right. Yeah. Who, who, who's working with you. Mm-hmm. Should you consider more of a traditional shoe to change a little bit of the focus to right. the knee and the hip area, yeah. um, as opposed to more of a lower heel drop. So I yeah, think that was yeah. kind of the summary take-home point uh, yeah, from that yeah. great tips you shared Definitely. there. Yeah. And I, I always tell patients, like, again, like I, I don't ever um, use that kind of strategy or that plan as like a forever kind of situation. It's like, you know, a lot of times it can just be temporary, you know, just to take the pressure off a certain problem area. And then we can slowly, gradually build back into what you personally like, what you personally feel good in. Um, I just can't stress that enough that at least for me, it's, and I know that you're the same way too, but it's always about the patient and the athlete. It's never about like me and my own, like personal experience or my own opinions about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I love it. Um, so if it's okay with you, let's take another question, um, from our live viewers here, shout out to you guys who are coming on here live, by the way, like midday. Um, so Karen has a a really good question and it it, it would be 
interesting. It's one that honestly, I haven't heard a lot of, but it would be interesting to get your take and I can give my mm -hmm. take as well. Um, she's just wondering if you haven't yet, can you talk about the best way to increase proprioception um, mm. without equipment? So I guess yeah. first off, share with the audience who don't know what proprioception is and then, yeah. you know, what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So, you know, in my um, particular space, I deal with um, proprioception and honestly, like a lack thereof um, a lot um, with my patients and my athletes that have had repetitive lateral ankle sprains. Dwayne, I'm sure you see this a ton as well. Um, you know, proprioception specifically refers to basically your, your body knowing where it is um, in space and in time um, in the most like simplistic um, terms. Um, and a lot of times in, with my specific patients, um, you know, that maybe like I've already mentioned, like a, a basketball player, uh, football players, even runners, um, you know, that maybe grew up playing those sports, maybe they've been in a high stack height shoe, you know, for the cushion and that, you know, lends itself to be a little bit more unstable for them, um, you know, and they have just kind of chronically sprained their ankle like over and over again. Um, they tend to lack, you know, the stability and the awareness uh, of where their ankle and their, their lower extremity is um, over time um, with that type of repetitive injury um, to the lateral ankle ligaments. Um, and this is actually, this is a great kind of jumping off point too, um, in terms of, um, I definitely get my patients um, and athletes started immediately on working on proprioception and, you know, getting that kind of awareness back um, in addition, I'm, I'm always getting them on board immediately if they aren't already, um, with my physical therapy colleagues, um, because there, you know, obviously is a ton more equipment and modalities that, um, my physical therapy colleagues have available to them. Um, and I just, I can't underscore that enough getting on board, um, you know, sooner rather than later, but Karen, to address your question, um, I definitely, um, there are, there are exercises you can do at home, um, to get started, um, without, you know, specific equipment, say like a BOSU ball or something like that. Um, a lot of times, like, you know, for some of my patients and athletes, I have them start with just standing on one leg, um, you know, and, and maybe just holding the, the contralateral leg, the other side and holding that knee up and just getting that awareness of being able to balance on that affected side, um, again something, you know, and that's, you can start there. You can make it more difficult by closing your eyes, um, things like that. Um, Dwayne, I'm sure you have tons of other, um, specific, um, exercises to do. Um, I believe I, I do have patients do, um, like a, I think it's like an eight point star, like reach on one leg, um, in yep. terms of like helping build back up that strength. Um, and I know that's a pretty key exercise in terms of kind of assessing the patient's um, kind of risk for like re-injury um, to the lateral lateral ankle ligaments too. Um, yeah, so and, a little like yeah. star excursion balance test yes. ball that, and yes, I actually exactly. use that yeah. a lot in my research with yeah. dancers actually in yeah. looking at like their proprioception and mm -hmm. how far they can reach before they yep. kind of lose their balance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are like a, just a couple, um, exercises that at least just immediately come to mind, um, that don't require equipment at all. Um, but I do, um, what do I have? I have a BOSU ball at home. Those can be kind of pricey, but, um, I, I also have like just a, um, I'm trying to blank on like the manufacturer, but it really was very inexpensive. My, my husband got it off Amazon, but it's just like a little, like kind of like wooden balance board, um, that I have used um, kind of over the years just to help build up my, my proprioception and my lateral ankle strength. Um, 
I do like single leg hops um, myself, like jumping again in like kind of a star pattern. Um, I myself have had a history of not necessarily lack of proprioception, but um, I was noticing um, like kind of towards the latter stages of um, some of my like long, long races, um, like particularly hundred milers. I was having like left uh, sided kind of like ankle weakness. Um, and I was just noticing that like after the race, it was like my left ankle is like sweat. Like I, I always have swelling, um, like in my feet, my ankles after just the nature of being on my feet for that long in a race. Um, but I was really noticing that my left ankle was like just swelling a lot more than my right. Um, so I really just started to focus more on, um, like stability exercises, increasing proprioception. Um, I worked on that on both sides, but, um, I felt like that has helped a lot. Um, and everything that I did for that was at home with pretty minimal, minimal, um, equipment. So, yeah, you really don't need a whole lot. Like what I Mm -hmm. like to start, you know, my clients with is just hitting those intrinsic muscles, right? Like let's tap into some of those muscles that are deep inside your foot, um, Mm -hmm. with some like foot doming, short foot exercise, we call it, or like toe yoga exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, those can be like important first steps. Cause I find like a lot of runners, especially if they have been in either custom foot orthotics or inserts and, or high stability shoes. Yeah. And honestly, from my personal experience, that was me. Like literally I could not like isolate out any of my intrinsic foot muscles after I was in orthotics for like 10 years and in max stability shoes. Mm -hmm. So like I had to literally retrain (laughs) my brain to send the signals down and Mm -hmm. activate. So I think activating those muscles is kind Mm -hmm. of a first go-to for me. And then Mm -hmm. I'll go to those, you know, single leg, you know, stability exercise reaches, different Mm -hmm. reaches you could do um, with your leg out. And then honestly, like going to Karen, you know, your question is really think about like all the other strengthening exercises that you do. And this is kind of like one of my core principles for running is that Mm -hmm. runners should, you know, be strong on one leg. Cause when we're running, we're always on one leg. Yes. So any of your strength training exercise that you're doing, whether it's upper body, shoulder work, Mm -hmm. core work. I have a lot of my athletes doing them on one leg, leg. going to improve Mm -hmm. your perception and your stability um, Mm -hmm. on that one leg. So yeah, yeah, Karen does thank you for answering her question. And uh, she is a repetitive ankle sprainer. Um, She's got some ankle instability there. So Mm -hmm. all great tips. Um, Yes. Let's get back into kind of some of your tips um, yeah. for these are great questions, by the way, guys, keep them coming. Uh, we yeah. love to answer questions on the fly. Uh, mm-hmm. What is your thoughts? Cause you mentioned it early about like active stretching and mobility yeah. routines. Yeah. Like what are your thoughts on those? And like, how do you incorporate maybe like personally yeah. in your, yeah. cause like you're spending so much time for these training runs. I right? like, I can't even imagine how many hours yeah. a week, or maybe tell us like how many hours yeah. do you run <laughs> <That's> <laughs> to a run a hundred mile race? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will say, you know, like what I do, you know, it's always a disclaimer. Um, but you know, what I do in training is certainly not going to like be a good fit for everyone. Um, but you can train for a hundred mile race in tons of different ways. Um, you know, I think right now I'm probably at like 15 to 16 hours per week, um, of training in terms of just running, you know, that's not including, um, you know, strength work, you know, lifting, mobility, recovery. Again, you know, I think my athletes and my patients know this about me, but I consider sleep and eating to be a part of training. Like it's not, you know, it's not an afterthought. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, 
again, it's like, I might be spending 15 to 16 hours running, but you know, that's kind of, to me, just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the time that I am putting in. Um, but yeah, you know, along those same lines, um, I will say like, I don't, I have not always been great about incorporating uh, stretching and active, you know, active isolated stretching routine um, and mobility. I think I have kind of gotten a, gotten away um, with it for a while, um, just maybe a, a bit of luck too, in terms of not, um, you know, that kind of catching up to me. But, um, you know, I'm 32, I'll be 33 this coming year. Um, well, I don't consider that old by any means, any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, it is, it's starting, it, it is like, I'm starting to feel it a little bit more just in terms of like, okay, like my hamstrings, you know, my lower back, you know, I, I'm feeling things start to tighten up that I, I maybe didn't used to. I may, may have been able to just roll out of bed and head out for a run, um, you know, and it's honestly living here in Colorado too, through the winters and things like that. I have to be more cognizant of the fact that like, okay, you know, it was like 28 degrees this morning um, outside. Like I, I really can't just hop out and just start hitting like at moderate pace. Um, on my run. Um, so yeah, I have been really incorporating, um, initially my goal was just to be able to, um, kind of incorporate a very specific active isolated stretching routine, like three days a week. Actually in the past few weeks, um, I have been finding myself doing it every day, um, because it just, it, it feels good. Um, and actually I feel like I've been sleeping better too. Um, my husband kind of pointed that out, um, about some of the research being there for, you know, improved sleep, improves, improved recovery, um, with a very focused, uh, mobility routine. Um, so I, uh, I feel how like long does that take you? It's, it's fairly quick. Um, you know, I have been using, um, at the suggestion of, um, one of my um, good friends and my coach, um, the kind of the principles that Phil Wharton, um, incorporates in terms of, um, using like a, a rope to help you kind of mobilize, um, lower extremities, but, I say I probably spend no, no longer than 10 minutes doing it. Um, you know, it's maybe sometimes even just five minutes. Um, and I, I can't express enough, like the importance of just tacking that into your training, um, you know, as a proactive way to kind of keep just certain little issues at bay. Um, like I said, for me and all runners, like, you know, there's just no way around it. We're all going to have tight hamstrings. Um, but just kind of staying on top of that, I really feel has helped me, you know, prevent like a true like tendinopathy issue. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've been fortunate with that. Um, but also, I mean, really with like my background in ballet and dance, um, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, I, I think back to, you know, these training classes that I would be going to after school or something like that. And really the bulk of the, the bulk of, if it was like a 90 minute class, a two hour class, like the bulk of the day was spent stretching. Um, you know, we really didn't get into the actual like routines or rehearsals or going across the floor, um, you know, until we'd been, you know, we put at least 45 minutes to an hour in to like active stretching, mobility, uh, core work, things like that. Um, so, you know, it, it really is to me a part of training and not something you know, that should be an afterthought, um, you know, after you've gotten the miles. And to me, it's like, you know, what? I'd rather, if I'm really short on time, I'd rather run one less mile and have that additional, you know, seven to 10 minutes of, um, incorporating like my active stretching and mobility routine. So love it. Love it. And notice how Stephanie said active stretching, yes. that it's not what our parents did the sit and reach kind of stretch your hamstrings before you start right. running. 
right? right? She's talking about yeah. active movement, mobility. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So make sure if you're listening and you're still doing that kind of grabbing the hamstring, like we do know better now, um, yeah. getting the blood flow movement, actually mm -hmm. activating muscles before yeah. you run yeah. is the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that active stretching mobility stuff. I agree. Like I'll do yeah. that even on a day where, for instance, like today I had a really high workload. I couldn't get my run in this morning, but yeah. I made sure I got on the floor and did my mobility for 10 minutes. Like you said, it yeah. doesn't take a yeah, lot of it time. It's not yeah. an hour like no, no, no. yoga yeah. class that you have to take. Right. Um, you can do it yeah. in 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's a key principle is like nothing ever has to be extreme. It, it just has to be consistent. Um, you know, I, I think that is so key. Love it. Um, yeah, I, you know, and even I'm sure Dwayne, you can speak more on this too, but I've even been more cognizant of, um, like my breath work while I'm doing mobility and active stretching, you know, inhaling while I'm stretching that active muscle, exhaling when I'm letting the, you know, the lower extremity down, um, all of those things kind of come together. And for me, it becomes like meditative too. So it's an additional, to me, it's an additional, um, like benefit of incorporating something like that. It's not just, you know, sometimes it's just the way you approach it too. It's like, you know, if you're approaching it, like, oh gosh, I got to get this in. It's just another thing I have to check off. Um, you know, then of course it's going to feel like a chore. Um, but for me, it's, you know, it's become relaxing, meditative. I just feel better, um, doing it. So. Yeah. Oh man. I love it. Okay. Yeah. So let's kind of shift gears a smidge here and say you yeah. have an athlete or you have a patient of yours who comes mm -hmm. to you and says, you know, I have this, um, posterior tib tendon problem. Yeah. Um, you know, give me exactly what I need to do for my foot. Um, yeah. how do you tie into, cause you mentioned it a couple of times about mm -hmm. kind of up the chain and like proximal issues. Yeah. Like how, why is that important? Or why would you recommend someone addressing kind of up higher and not just focusing yeah. on the foot and ankle? Cause you're like a foot and ankle specialist, right? Right. 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 I know I, you know, I always um, preface, you know, this specific situation and, and similar issues with patients, like, even though I'm trained surgically, even though this is my specialty, I'm not someone that's like knife happy and just wants to just fixate on this one issue, just because that's my specialty. Again, nothing, no one and nothing, uh, no injury exists in a vacuum. A lot of times issues that manifest in the foot and ankle are, you know, I, I would say like 80% of the time they're compensatory. Um, from something further up the chain. Um, and that's again, why I want, I always want to be getting, you know, my physical therapy colleagues on board immediately to address, you know, maybe we need to get a full gait examination, you know, done immediately so that I'm not just fixating on why this patient, you know, is having collapse, you know, of their main um, arch stabilizer, you know, your posterior tib is the, the main tendon that's helping kind of hold everything up and, you know, from your arch collapsing. Um, but it's, it usually always has a more proximal um, reason. Um, and yeah, just kind of addressing everything. Um, I, I can't always just look at something, focus in on it and say, okay, let's put you into orthotics. Let's do this. Um, you know, let's get PRP on board, stuff like that. You know, those modalities are wonderful and they all serve a purpose, um, but you're never going to actually truly address the root of the issue. If you aren't looking, if you aren't zooming out. And if you're, you're preaching to the <laughs> choir here. Right. I love it. I love yeah. it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 
And you know, my favorite muscle to actually pick up on weakness mm -hmm. for those, especially with the posterior tib, yeah. um, tendon pain is those deep hip external rotators. Yeah. Like those hip yeah. external rotators are anti-pronation muscles up yeah. at the hip. Yes. Yes. And if yes. they're weak, it's like yes. that posterior tib is got that much yeah. force as yep. your foot is kind of, you know, slapping down to the ground. So it's yeah. just amazing how many times where you know, someone who has some mild posterior tip stuff, I won't even give them anything for their posterior right, tip. Initially. Right. And just like pick up that their hip external rotator is super weak, teach them how yeah. to activate the muscle, teach them yeah. how to actually progress in and standing. And then mm -hmm. it's like, boom, they're not having pain with run and they didn't have to stop yeah. running to right, actually get right. over that issue. It's like yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know. Um, I, I hear that a lot where, where I have a patient or an athlete, you know, that comes to me, they've kind of, um, you know, been already kind of doing their own research. They know, they know, um, you know, the pathology that's going on, or they, they at least have a general idea of what's going on. Um, and I, I get the question so many times they're like, Oh, are you going to put me into a boot? And I'm like, I am so anti-boot as long as, you know, it, there are of course exceptions. Like I know we touched on before, you know, there are certain bony injury patterns where we just can't get around it. Like the disease process, uh, you know, and the kind of transition to getting you better is largely going to be, look the same, you know, and very similar for each patient. Um, you know, I certainly can't send someone out who has like an occult fracture, um, like not in a boot or things like that. But, um, you know, I'm very much in the camp of like anti-boot if we can get away with it, you know, um, because doing so again, causes so many imbalances. Um, and like you said, like sometimes, you know, in certain instances, we can keep you running. We don't, we're not, we don't have to put you like non-weight bearing. We don't have to put you, you know, incapacitated. Um, if we address the actual root of the cause. Um, yeah. Love it. And yeah. so if we kind of can share one other tip, um, in terms of maybe, you know, pain management, um, mm -hmm. healing, you know, mm -hmm. what would that be, um, that you think is important, um, in someone kind of healing from their injury and, yeah. or, you know, managing some of the pain that they're having? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I totally don't mean to sound like so out there and woo woo about this, but, um, you know, just to kind of touch on the kind of holistic approach that we've been discussing, um, throughout this episode, I always like to have like realistic conversations with patients. Like what are your expectations? Um, you know, like maybe you're coming to me and, you know, say your pain is like a six out of 10 on pain scale. Um, that's not normal. We want that to come down. Um, but when I follow up with you in a few weeks after we've gotten like a good regimen on board, we've gotten physical therapy on board. You know, I always like to have this, the discussion of like, you know, what feels, what feels realistic to you? What feels like a realistic goal to be able to get to say in six to in like six to eight weeks. Um, you know, and I, I usually have to touch on the fact that sometimes we, we, we realistically, we won't be able to get to zero out of 10 immediately. Um, it's certainly not, it, that certainly is the long-term goal. No one, you know, no one should be living with just chronic pain, um, in this specific, you know, circumstance, but, um, you know, a step in the right direction is still a step in the right direction is what I tell a lot of patients. It's like, you're coming to me in a six, you know, we're able to get you down to like a three or a two. Um, and you're not having that, you know, initial pain on first step out of bed in the morning. Um, maybe it's manifesting only, you know, after you've been on your feet for eight hours, you know, after your work shift, things like that. Um, that's still a step in the right direction. Um, so being realistic and setting realistic goals in terms of pain and healing, I think is really key. 
um, just so that your patients aren't and your athletes aren't expecting like, you know, an immediate fix. Um, this is a, you know, a lifelong process. Um, you know, nothing, nothing in life really is, is going to give you that immediate fix. Um, and then also like, I like to discuss with patients, like, um, you know, do you, do you believe in this treatment plan? Like, do you believe, you know, in the fact that like we're, we are going to get you on a path to where you're not living with this chronic pain every day. Um, and again, I, I know it sounds kind of woo woo, but it's just, you know, if, it, if an athlete doesn't believe in the training that you're giving them, um, you know, we all know how, how key that is and to be able to trust in your training and to trust in yourself, um, you know, when you're on that start line. I always feel like that's kind of intertwined with medicine too. If you don't trust the provider, you know, the healthcare specialist that you're with, if you don't have faith in the plan, um, you know, you're, you're probably not going to see the results that you want to see. Um, and by no means am I saying like, oh yeah, you know, go shop around. You know, I know, you know, there are, there are tons of factors, you know, in health insurance, um, things like that. I'm not certainly not encouraging that, but I, I do always want to encourage patients to feel comfortable with their healthcare provider, their specialist, um, you know, whether that's someone like me, whether that's physical therapy, whether that's your chiropractor, things like that. Um, you should always feel like you're in a space where you can advocate for yourself. Um, you know, and I, I have touched on this before with you, Duane, but um, I'm actually not someone, I'm not the type of um, physician that gets like super annoyed um, when a patient comes to me and they've already started to do their own research. I think that's, I think, you know, obviously it just, it depends, you know, on, on the, on the person um, themselves. But when I have someone that's that interested in their health, um, even if it is them just like going on Google and things like that, I always try to encourage that same learning though. I'd, I'd much rather have someone that's invested in their health and interested about it um, and be able to kind of guide them in the right direction in terms of, Hey, like I am considering this treatment for you. Um, this is why, and I'm going to send you this peer reviewed article. And this is why I'm basing um, my thought process like on this for you specifically. And maybe this is why I'm not considering this that you may have seen on the internet, like on an ad or something like that, because there isn't the long-term data to back that treatment up. Um, again, there are always other factors at play. Like a lot of times those things aren't going to be covered by insurance, but it's, I feel it's important to explain to patients why, you know, certain things aren't going to be covered by insurance because the long-term data isn't there. Um, that I'm just using that as an example. Um, but we, I feel like we hear that a lot about, oh, you know, so-and-so just went online and is Googling. I, I like to use that as like a jumping off point um, and like a place of like, I do want you to continue to learn um, and understand like, like what's going on with your body. Here's, you know, kind of better resources um, to draw from. Um, and yeah, I know I kind of took that on a, maybe a different tangent, but. Yeah, no, I, I think um, the power in kind of trusting yeah. right, the, the provider and or the treatment that mm -hmm. you are mm -hmm are doing mm -hmm. has been shown too in the literature, yeah, um, it really power has. of belief, yeah. um, you know, having, and I could just tell this is my first time meeting you and talking with yeah. you, but you establishing rapport on day yeah. one with your patient yeah. and actually yeah. listening yeah. Right? Yeah. and hearing where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. All of that is, is critical. And those are like yeah. some of the skills that we teach our PT students, um, yeah. you know, that are the keys versus, you know, the, yeah. the best, latest, greatest, manual right. therapy technique that I'm teaching exactly. them, yeah. I'm like the skill of listening and actually yeah. hearing what your patient is going yeah. through, what they want, right. 
and educating them properly on yeah. how are they going to get yeah. better um, mm-hmm. are really key. So if I had yeah. to kind of summarize here and break down, you shared a lot of uh, a lot of great knowledge um, mm-hmm. and and tips with our audience today. But if yeah. I break these down into like five keys for mm-hmm. overcoming your foot and ankle pain, I heard number one was no patient should be treated the same, right? Individualized right. care. Number two is find the right shoe. Mm-hmm. And we talked about minimalist versus higher stack heights versus yeah. heel to drop. We yeah. kind of covered all of that. Number yeah. three was the importance of active stretching mobility routines. Mm-hmm. Number four, looking above the area and looking yeah. at proximal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number five really is believing that, you know, things will get better and trusting yeah. the process, trusting yeah. the treatment path that you're on, the treatment mm-hmm. provider. Um, I love this. I love this because it's not very specific to, okay, you got to do PRP or you have to right. do ice or ice is bad and you got to right. tape it. And this is, <laughs> so yeah. I love this because honestly, guys, even if, you know, this doesn't pertain to your specific, right. We talked about like individualized care so much in this episode. Yeah. Like if you honestly hit these five keys, most likely you are going to actually improve if you yeah. follow principles as opposed to being one of those other things that Mm -hmm. might be good for some might not be good for others. I know. I know. I always, I always like feel bad sometimes when I'm like, I don't mean to sound like either like a politician or a lawyer or something like that, like stepping around different topics, but it truly does depend. Um, you know, and I, I just, in like you, you get it too, Dwayne. It's like, I just can't underscore the importance of individualized care enough everyone is so different. I love it. Um, so before we get into our final stretch and it's going to be kind of, um, misconceptions of running injuries. Do you mind if we do a couple of quick questions? We'll call no. it like a spark lightning round. Cause I feel yeah, like you'd, sure. you'd be up for this. Yeah, um, sure. cause I'm really curious. Um, there's a couple of things I was curious about is yeah. number one night splints for plantar fasciitis. Have mm-hmm. you use these in your clinical practice? Have you found benefits in your patients? I am someone that's typically going to be in not the camp of night splints. Um, I feel like some patients have benefited from them. I can't, I can't recall though a single patient that I have specifically prescribed them for myself. I typically have patients that are coming to me as like a second or third opinion, um, that have been placed into them. Um, you know, it's by no means like a knock on primary care at all, but it, that's typically where I see it, um, having started from. Um, and I think we kind of touched on it. Um, you know, I think, um, that is a very much a static stretch. Um, and I have found that patients typically benefit from more of an active routine and maybe incorporating other, incorporating other modalities, um, beside the night splint. Again, that's not to say that someone wouldn't benefit from it, but I personally am not someone that's typically prescribing those on a regular basis. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And then what about bunions? So I see this a lot too. A lot of my clients have bunions. And Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? Should someone go as kind of long as possible? Let's say they're a runner. Yeah, that's a really um, good question. Or do you get surgery earlier on before it progresses? Like, what are your thoughts on those? Yeah. Um, so I do, and I'll, first I'll, I'll just say, I am actually someone, I have bunions on both feet. Um, I, it's not, um, in my, my, uh, first metatarsal phalangeal joint, I have Taylor's bunions, um, for anyone listening on um, that song. So why? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's on, on the outside of the foot, um, at the, the fifth, um, metatarsal phalangeal joint. Um, you know, Dwayne, I 
like you could probably already imagine like my gait pattern. Um, I'm definitely more of like a supinated runner. Um, just kind of overloading that lateral column has kind of lended itself to my, both of my feet forming, um, you know, bunion deformities on the outsides of my feet. So how I usually approach this with patients is it also, it depends on how, how long they've had the bunion when it developed. Um, so someone, you know, that's, I mean, I rarely see this where someone is maybe like in their fifties and they're coming to me and they're like, I've had this my whole life. Um, like I had it when I was a teenager it has just progressively gotten worse. That's a little bit of a different story because that is truly like a juvenile, um, hallux valgus um, situation. That's usually a different kind of pattern. Um, and in terms of progression of the bunion, um, versus someone that has developed it later in life as an adult, even though I'm a surgeon, I do typically say, um, like no surgery is minor. It's still a surgery. There's still anesthesia risks. There's still, you know, time off your feet, things like that. I do typically say, you know, the second that it is starting to impact your daily activities and it's causing you pain that you can't go 24 hours without thinking about, and you have tried other, um, you know, as we all know, like conservative methods are wonderful for bunions, but at the end of the day, it is a bony deformity. You know, you're never going to truly reverse it. Um, you know, where the bone itself is sitting. Um, but I usually kind of draw that line at the impact of your daily activities and the pain level that you're at. If you, like, again, if you can't go 24 hours without thinking about it, at that point, I usually consider, you know, intervention. Um, again, there are gray areas though, where it's like, you know, some, I, I do have to treat, you know, a competitive athlete different, you know, and a younger patient different than someone that's, you know, maybe in their seventies, um, maybe they're a young 70. Um, you know, young 75. Um, but that's a little bit different where it's like, okay, we know this is going to continue to progress. Maybe we need to intervene earlier. Maybe you're not having, um, you know, consistent pain on a daily basis. Maybe you're still able to run, do your sport. Um, but maybe it's like just towards the end of the day that you're starting to feel that pain and that fatigue within the joint. That's a little bit different. And that sometimes I have that conversation, like maybe we need to intervene a little bit sooner so that we can prevent having to do say like a fusion of a more proximal joint um, and to have to avoid being a little bit more aggressive. Maybe we intervene a little bit sooner to prevent that further progression. So. Great. Thank you. Yeah. No, that was a um, fantastic answer. And then yeah. another non-medical question, uh, mm -hmm. kind of going back to your, because you did, um, run the Olympic trials, correct? I actually did not. No, I was training for it. I did not. Okay. No, I did yeah. Not. So yeah. what were, what were your lessons yeah. learned by yeah. kind of going through that whole experience of, yeah. you know, building out and, and training for it? Sure. Sure. Um, I think, um, I was kind of late to the game in terms of, um, kind of building up my speed. Um, I think the biggest lesson that I took away from training, um, towards that qualifying time, um, and it's something that one of my, one of my best friends, um, always loves to say, and she kept reminding me throughout the process, um, uh, is trust the timing of your life. Um, you know, a goal, and she, she told me this too, a goal delayed is not a goal denied. Um, you know, and so I, I'm, I'll be the first person to say that I, I did fall short of my goals, um, you know, in terms of hitting that standard. But I, again, I just, I don't think it was the right time for me. And I have peace in that. Um, and it's not really something like, of course I was disappointed. Of course I had to take the time to kind of process it all. Um, but it's not something that I allowed to define me. Um, and that's something that I'm really big about, um, with my, especially with my athletes, it's like, 
you know what, so what, so what, at this specific point in time, you weren't able to run X time. That really means nothing in the big scheme of things. Like we zoom out, you know, for me, looking back, that was two years ago now. I mean, me not running the trials and me taking a step back and maybe addressing my mental health after, you know, having my goals on display publicly. Um, I, I think there is huge worth in putting your goals on display publicly, but I do think you still have to acknowledge the fact that sometimes things don't always, they aren't always going to fall into place how you expect on a specific arbitrary timeline. Um, but that doesn't really mean anything in the big scheme of things. I, I would have never guessed that me taking a step back, focusing more on my mental health, um, you know, and actually deciding not to run another road marathon to try to go for the standard just because my body like physically probably could have, I don't think I was mentally in the place to do that again. Um, you know, and that look at where, look at where that led me to be now, you know, I, I was able to return to the hundred mile distance, you know, with using kind of all that speed that I'd garnered, um, you know, and I've been able to achieve huge goals that I, I at that time, when I was in that specific bubble, um, I just, I wasn't even thinking about, it. I didn't even think were possible. Um, so I know I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. I know probably a lot of listeners are too. Like, be curious, always be curious. Don't be judgmental, um, like with both yourself and like the personal circumstances, you know, surrounding your training or your health. Um, just always approach each day with like, what can I get out of today? What can I get out of, you know, this week? Um, we just never know what's around that corner. Um, you know, and sometimes it's not always like a doomsday type situation. Sometimes it's things that are, you know, just waiting for you um, to grab if you're open to them. So Oh, man, so inspirational, even though oh. many of us who are listening to this have never even thought about right uh, sure. running in the Olympic trials, like yeah. your message, I, I think we can all relate to it in life, oh, yeah. and Absolutely. our runs and yeah. not hitting time goals, not hitting distance goals, whatever it may yeah. be. Yeah. Um, just such a positive message. Um, yeah. So let's kind of get into our final stretch, which is the last hey, question that we sure. ask all our guests. And yeah. if you could change one thing about the misconception of running injuries, yeah. what would sure. that be? Um, do you mean like, let's see, like the misconception of um, like kind of like what our listener asked in terms of like running causing arthritis or I guess whatever, um, you know, is something out there that it could be that, or it could mm. be, you know, a, a big thing that, you know, you feel you want listeners to know who are, or having injuries and, mm. or think they're injury prone runner, or they're oh, never sure. going to get rid of their injury. Sure. Sure. Um, let's see. That's a good question. Um, I, again, I, uh, I guess it's kind of like ties in a lot of the things that we've already talked about, but, um, I, yeah, like that actually, what you just said is a good point though, too. Um, is that I don't, I don't like the term like injury prone runner. Um, I feel like that can like anything else in life that can kind of pigeonhole someone, um, and being in chronic pain or having like a constant, um, you know, issue, whether it's like a knee related ITBN ankle, plantar fasciitis, like none of those things should ever be considered to be permanent or something that you should, you know, just be having to deal with or living with. Um, like we talked about, there's always going to be kind of a holistic approach that we can take to address really like the root that's causing um, that pain or that, um, that injury. 
I, again, I don't like to, I, I have a lot of patients and athletes that come to me that say, that, Oh, I'm just, I'm so injury prone. Um, you know, this is always like a constant issue for me. It doesn't have to be though. And, um, you know, finding someone, you know, whether that's a healthcare, um, you know, whoever, whoever you're choosing to work with, um, again, trusting in them to kind of zoom out and explore things that maybe haven't been explored in the past. Um, you know, I, I'm not someone that's going to ever give like false positivity or anything like that. Certainly certain issues are, you know, may require, you know, a very, you know, possibly invasive procedure um, to fix, but that's not to say that, um, you know, you'll never get back to where you were before. Um, I think, you know, we have so many examples of, um, you know, older runners that are continuing to like run to their full potential um, you know, again, I'm 32. I started running as an adult. I, I don't feel that I've even scratched the surface yet, um, you know, in terms of like my own running potential. Um, so this, the same thing can go for like running injuries. I, 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 I guess my advice out there to runners who, you know, feel that they're in that camp, um, you know, and it, again, it's not to say like, oh, let's just give everyone false positivity about it. But, um, you know, chronic pain and, um, you know, having an issue with something every day isn't normal. Um, it may just be that you haven't found the right um, person to kind of zoom out and address all of the different things that are kind of adding up to um, like your personal life puzzle. Um, and like we said, there's a lot of factors at play there, whether it's even starting from like your mental health, um, you know, and what's causing your pain? Like why, you know, why is this something that has drug on for, you know, months or even years um, with certain patients that I see addressing all those things um, from a holistic way. Um, I think can, we can all come to um, better resolutions for patients and athletes. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And heck, I didn't even start running until I was 32. Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So 10 years exactly. later, I'm still going. And yeah not getting injured along the way. Um, So I'm sure there are many runners who learned a lot um, from you today during our chat. Where can our healthy runner community connect with you? Yeah. um, You know what? I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, My handle is uh, my full name, Stephanie Ann Flippin. Um, I know my first name is spelled a little bit funky. It's just with an F. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, that's, that's primarily where I'm at. Um, You know, you can always reach out to me too, through um, the lift run perform site. Um, Mary's always really wonderful at um, funneling, um, you know, emails and things back to me. So, yeah. Perfect. And you guys will definitely go and follow her Instagram account, because as you can see today, like she's just such a positive spirit. So if you want a little positivity in your life (laughs) um, and, or when you go on Instagram, it doesn't make you feel good. Like stop following the people that don't make you feel good and follow people like Stephanie, who are going to (laughs) actually bring you up, that. you know, and, and yeah. be positive because we need yeah. more people like Stephanie in the world, honestly, um, now more than ever. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. This was so informative. I really, really appreciate you taking your yeah. time and your busy day to yeah. share with our healthy runner community. Yeah. Um, and thank you all that jumped on the Facebook live midday yeah, thank today. You. Um, or if you're listening on the podcast or the spark your training YouTube channel, remember every week we go live within the healthy runner Facebook group to kind of share these live podcast recordings with you and get some of your questions answered like the listeners did today. So keep us in mind in your schedule. Um, as always, thanks again. Let's stay active. Let's stay healthy and let's just keep on running until next time, guys. Thank you.
Hey, wait a minute. Just to let you guys know, much of what you heard on this episode is delivered live within our Healthy Runner free Facebook group. So head over to there to request to join our community in which you will have access to the video version of this episode and so many bonus features, including blog article references and YouTube video links, as well as me answering your specific running related questions. Also, we are closing in on 50 reviews on iTunes, which I am super pumped about, given we're only six months into this podcast journey together. So to help me get there, the first thing you need to do is you have to subscribe to the sucker, whether it is Apple iTunes that you're listening to this or whatever platform you are on. The next thing is make sure you leave a review. I love to hear what you have to say, and I read all of them, and it means a lot to me. The last thing, guys, is take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it on your stories on Instagram and tag me. That's at SparkYourTraining. If you do this, I will repost it so you'll get a bump, I'll get a bump, and most importantly, we will share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them be healthy and stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot. Share it on Instagram stories and tag me in it. Let's try and get to 50 reviews on the podcast. Thanks for listening.